Well, we do love people, don't we? All right. Dale, you and me, I guess, I guess that's why we got the job, huh? <laughs> okay, so nobody does love anybody. Maybe if I complete the sentence, we will agree. We love people that love us. And that's the truth, isn't it? We love people who do things for us. We love people who make us happy. Now, if people don't love us, well, then we, we probably don't even have a relationship with them, do we? We're not even talking about love then. If they don't, if they don't love us, we're not going to love them. And, and if they're not doing anything for us, well, I mean, you know, what can you expect of me? I mean, how long can this really go? And if they're not making us happy, oh my gosh, I mean, isn't that how we evaluate everything? Whether it's making us happy or not? You know, folks, I don't know if you've ever really kind of thought about it this way, but our love relationships, our love is really kind of self-motivated, isn't it? Self-motivated, self-directed, self-centered. And if you can use the word self that many times when talking about love, don't you have to kind of stop and ask yourself, are we still talking about love? And, and if this has been our experience with love, is there, a, is there a chance that we think God's love is like that? Now, I'm, I'm probably overstating this point a little bit, you know, to make a point and kind of get us thinking. And I'm not suggesting that nobody out there has ever shown love unconditionally, sacrificially, genuinely. I'm, I'm quite confident every one of you has. But fact, folks, the fact that I have an event or, or a person or a situation where I have shown genuine, unconditional love, just because I have that out there, that doesn't mean that I don't, day in and day out, still have a love that's kind of self-centered. And if we're defining God's love like we see our own love, then maybe that's why we don't trust God's love all the time. Or maybe that's why His love doesn't seem that real to us. We're going to look today at a, at a tremendous passage. I, I think an amazing portrait of God's love. Maybe one of the most amazing portraits in Scripture, especially of this genre. Uh, Romans is didactic. It's, it's teaching material. It's like a lecture. You know, our hearts are usually more drawn, more, more moved by stories. And the Bible certainly gives us a, a lot of stories that portray and illustrate the love of God. Obviously, the, the chief story being that of the cross. But, but that's not Romans. Romans is not telling us a story. It's, it's teaching us. And it's, it's kind of analyzing and defining and, and breaking it down. And it brings to us a portrait of God's love in this passage. What's interesting is you can read this passage and think that it's not about God's love, but it's about you. It's going to be talking a lot about you and me and what we're like outside of Christ. What we're like before Christ. And so you can read this passage and say, well, I'm learning about myself. But the more I deal with this passage, the more I think it's not really about me. It's teaching about me only in the sense that it's setting a backdrop by which God's love is going to be displayed, by which God's love is going to be explained. And we're going to see two great things about God's love here. We're going to see that God's love is amazingly not self-centered. That's probably not a surprise. And we're going to see that God's love is amazingly sacrificial. Let's look and see how this passage teaches that. Look with me this morning at uh, Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. We're continuing in our study of this great letter. If you don't have a Bible with you, we've got some in the chairs in front of you. I hope you'll grab one and study along with us. Romans chapter 5 in the New Testament. 
get past the Gospels and Acts and you come to Romans. Romans 5, beginning in verse 6. It says there, For while we were still helpless, at the appointed moment, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a, a good person, perhaps someone might dare, even dare to die. But God proves His own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, since we have now been declared righteous by His blood, we will be saved th through Him from wrath. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by His life? And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Now before we dive into the, the meat of that passage, I want you to see a phrase. It, it points out something very significant about God. You see there in verse 6 that, that word, uh, the appointed moment. And, and here that appointed moment is referring to, to Christ's death on the cross. That moment when He was on the cross. That same word is used in Galatians 4.4. 4. There it's a reference to Christ entering this world and it's interpreted as the fullness of time or the, the completeness of time or when time was ripe, when it was at its perfect moment. And so what the scripture is teaching is that from the manger to the cross, the life of Christ happened at the exact precise and perfect moment. There's nothing random about when, this, when Christ entered the world. It wouldn't have been better if he entered the world 218 years earlier. It wouldn't have been better if he came 2,011 years later. I think it'd be kind of be better because, you know, I'd, I'd be here and I'd be seeing it, right? But there was something about the conditions of humanity. God is, is weighing all of the conditions of humanity past and, and humanity future. And that was the exact perfect spot for Christ to come. You say, well, well why is that? I don't have a clue. I don't have the information that God was working with when he made that decision. But that's what the scripture teaches. That was the exact perfect moment. And of course, the Bible's not just teaching about Christ entering the world. But that's, that's true of God. God's not random. God doesn't wake up and go, oh, what are we going to do today? Gosh, what's going on down there? Let's see. I need to do... No, folks, everything that God is doing is precise. It's accurate. It's planned. His decisions, his actions are precise, they're purposeful, they're perfect. That's true when we're talking about when Christ entered the world. It's true when we're talking about what God is doing in your life. God's working in your life today. God's working in your life this week. And he's not doing anything random. That's good news, isn't it? We need to know that. We need to hold on to that. Because let's be honest, we look out in our world and we see some stuff that looks like a big accident. We see some stuff that looks random, but God says, no, my work and my decisions related to you are not random. They're purposeful. So, boy, just right there in that phrase, we learn some great stuff about God. Now, as this passage unfolds, I'll be honest with you, I read it, and, and obviously, you might have picked up, it has some not-so-kind things to say about us. And, and, and I'm reading this and I'm thinking, you know, gosh, come on, Lord, I, I've got it. I mean, I'm a sinner. I get it. You know, we've been looking at this for three chapters. The Romans chapters one through three, we've been detailing all of this. And now it comes back and it, gosh, it hits us again. But that's like I said a moment ago, that's when I realized, you know, he's not as much reteaching or teaching again about us because everything in these verses is a, is a summary or a repeat of what we've already learned in the first three chapters 
but rather what he's doing is he's bringing it up afresh. This is the backdrop. The teaching is about God's love, but folks, love is often expressed and understood in who is being loved, how that person is being loved. So it's in looking at us that we get a better understanding of what God's love is and what God's love did. Now, in this passage, you might have noticed there's four words there that describe us. You, you should underline these four words, circle these four words. They are, uh, the first word is helpless, verse 6. Second word is ungodly, again in verse 6. The third word is sinner, in verse 8. And the fourth word is enemy, verse 10. Now, those aren't, those aren't good words, are they? I can't imagine, I don't want to be, I can't imagine anybody else in here wants to be described by these words. But these words describe you and describe me outside of Christ, before a life in Christ. And they're not, they're not fun words to think about, but they're the truth. And you know what, for you and I to understand God's love, to be able to experience and enjoy God's love, to be able to find our worth, folks, we need to deal with the truth. And that is the truth. Let's look at these, these four words. Now, I don't know if it's poor Richard's almanac that originated it, but I think it's poor Richard's almanac that, that made it famous. Have you heard of that phrase, God helps those who help themselves? Yeah, we all know that. You also know it's a lie, right? There is absolutely no truth to that statement at all. That is not a biblical statement. That is not a statement that God made. God is not watching to see when you give a little bit of effort, when you finally do your part, when you, when you try to help the situation, then he'll come in with the Calvary and finish the project. No, what the scripture teaches is that you are completely and totally helpless. Why would God be waiting on you to help yourself if what he's teaching is you are completely and totally helpless? You are powerless, would be what that word means. You are powerless to affect your spiritual condition. You are powerless to affect the real problem in your life. Now, if you're like me, you probably don't feel powerless. I mean, we, we, I imagine a lot of us, we feel somewhat sufficient, you know? We, we might refer to the financial status that we have, or maybe we actually feel physically strong or mentally strong, or we have certain gifts and abilities. We've got things, you've got things that w you rely on to get through this life, and that's what makes you sufficient. You know, these are, I'm not helpless. I, I can take care of this. I, I can do this. But folks, you know what? Every one of those things, whatever it is that makes you feel not helpless, every one of those things is temporary. You will lose every one of those things. Some of them you might lose this week. You might lose some of those things this week, but you'll lose every one of them. And none of those things is going to impact your spiritual problem and your eternal problem. So it is in that sense that God is saying you are completely helpless. You are powerless to affect change at the real issue here. Now, have you ever had to had to love somebody, care for somebody who is, uh, oh, what's the best word here? A mess. You know what I'm talking about? You, you got to take care of them. You got to help them. Uh, this is somebody who cannot put two good decisions back to back for the save their life. You know who I'm talking about? Yeah, matter of fact, you might have somebody, they can't put one decision back to back. Yeah, figure that one out. I mean, it just no matter what they do, sometimes it's their fault, sometimes it's not their fault, but nothing works in this person's life. Nothing comes together and you're their resource. 
for constantly getting out of trouble. You're their resource for dealing with nothing in their life. This is somebody, they, they come to the table, they never bring anything to the table, but boy, they sure take a lot from it. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes we have a friend like this. Sometimes we have a, a family member like this. Praise God, some of us are going to be spending Thanksgiving with them. You know, you, you know who this person is. You know what? That's draining, isn't it? Maybe we do it out of love. Maybe we do it out of duty. Maybe we do it because somebody else in the family is making us. There's probably some of that going on too. But it's, it's, it's draining. Folks, you know what? You and I are that person before God. If you know who that person is in your life and family and, and what they mean to you, what they mean to the family and the struggle and the frustration, that, that it, that's what we are to God. But you know what? God loves us when we are completely draining. Second word God uses to describe us here is the word ungodly. Now, there's another word I want to say. No, wait, wait, wait a minute. I'm not, I'm not ungodly. I mean, I, I sin. I know I'm, I'm not perfect. But, man, I mean, I've got morals. I'm a pretty good person. I, I try to do good things. Ungodly is, that's just so harsh. But folks, the word just simply means I'm not godlike in my character and personality. Well, if, if, if that's the definition, then yeah, that's true. I mean, I can't, I can't. I can't imagine there's anybody here that, oh, no, that word doesn't describe me. I am 100% like God in my personality. I am 100% like God in my character. No, we're not like God. We're not like Him. Now, remember, we're talking about relationships. We're talking about love. Who do you, who do you naturally relate with? Who are you drawn to? Who do you enjoy company with? Who do you love? You know, folks, if you think about it, a lot of times, it's people who like what you like. They, they like to go where you like to go. They like to do what you like to do. They have similar values. They have similar passions. Now, that doesn't mean that you and I can't enjoy the company of somebody that's different from us. As a matter of fact, we do, don't we? We, we work with people that are different from us. Maybe we have some friends that, yeah, you know, it doesn't all line up. There's some, there's some significant differences. But, you know, the more different they are, the more likely we don't spend a lot of time with them. Especially if those differences get to some significant things like values and like passions. Boy, when there's a big difference there, it just gets hard to relate. Well, folks, you know what? You and I are not like God. And the difference is a lot bigger than he likes comedies and we like drama. He likes pro football, but we like college football. That's not the differences we're talking about. Folks, our differences with God are offensive differences. We are offensively different from him but God loves us even when we are offensively different the third word to describe us is the word sinner now that's that's a word we've looked at a good bit we've already looked at in in Romans we saw it in Romans chapter 3 verse 23 that word sin just literally simply means to miss the mark we have all missed the mark we've missed the mark of being like God We've missed the mark of, of being like heaven. We have failed God. And you know, we, we talked about in those first three chapters of Romans that, that, that we try to find security. We try to build ourselves up by saying, well, I haven't failed as bad as they have. You know, and we never quite do the math that failing is failing. <laughs> I made a 64. You made a 22. 17 over there. Ah, 51 back there. But still, I had the highest failing score Folks, a failing score is a failing score. 
Doesn't matter what your score was. We have failed God. But God loves us when we have failed him. The fourth word, and again, boy, this this one you really want to interact with. This one you want to say, whoa, now wait a minute. The scripture says that outside of Christ, you and I are enemies of God. We're his enemies. These folks, this one really advances. This word really advances the idea that, that there's a lot more going on here than just we're different from God. This is not about, you know, I'm doing my thing and, and God's doing his thing and our, our things are different. No, folks, when you and I are doing our thing, we are doing it in hostility to God. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear that, I want to say, well, I, I didn't know I was doing something in hostility to God. I wasn't trying to do something in hostility to God. I didn't mean to do something in hostility to God. Well, folks, that might all be true, but you're living in hostility to God. Let me illustrate something you've heard me say a lot. God is truth, right? We believe that? God is truth. God is truth. That's His character. It's who He is. He loves truth. And He has set up a universe. He set up a world. He has set up relationships that work in truth. Which means that every single time we lie. Yeah, even the little one. When we lie, we are acting in a way that is hostile to God's character. We're acting in a way that is hostile to the way God designed this world to work. We are living as His enemy. And that's not just about lying, folks. Every single sin we commit is hostile to God's character. Hostile to how God has designed this world. But God loves us when we have attacked Him. Now, folks, you start to take that in and think about what God loves, who God loves. You think, wow, man, my, my, my love's nothing like God's. I wouldn't love me. And you know, that, as much as it might be good news, this might be causing a problem for some of us. This is such, this is such a big love, such an amazing love. I wonder if it becomes a not real love to us. It's just not, it's, how can he love me if that's true? How, how can that be? And so, yeah, I could on the one hand be so amazed, but on the other hand, I could, that, that's not real. I can't comprehend that. I can't get my arms around that. And so God then comes because he wants you to know his love. He wants you to experience his love. So he comes to prove it. He proves his love for you. Now, what would it take for God to prove that he has loved you like this? What would you mean? That, that's it. That, that is a perfect demonstration. I believe it. What if God came to you and said, listen, what if I were to fix everything you've broken in this relationship? What if I were to pay the penalty for every wrong you've done in this relationship so that I can freely and justly love you, so that I can freely and justly bless you, and you be the recipient of that? What if I took care of all that? Would that prove it? You see, folks, every time we look at the cross, we're to hear God saying, that is the extent that I will go to to show how much I love you. That is God proving to you that he loves you. Is that enough? 
does that do that as we're presented with this act of love? Does it do it? Long time ago. And I need to be loved today. That's a a long time ago. You know, if you look in your scripture there, Romans 5, 8, there's two verbs there. The word proves or demonstrates. And then there's the word died. The word died is in the past tense. That was a past event. Christ died on the cross. That was in the past. It's happened. It's over. Now, you could anticipate that the verse would be written, God, in the past, proved how much he loved the people of Jesus' day, the people before Jesus' day. God proved how much he loved you when Christ died on the cross. Past event. Well, the death is a past event, but notice in your scripture that the word demonstrates or the word proves is not in the past tense. It's in the present tense. In other words, with that past event, God is presently, God is ongoing, communicating, proving, demonstrating His love for you. So when you and I here today, November 13th, 2011, feel unloved, unnoticed, uncared for, God would point to the cross and say, really? Really? You you look at that and you feel unnoticed? You look at that and you feel unloved. You look at that and you think, I don't care. This is how God still today is proving his love for us. And folks, think about, remember the backdrop? Think about who he's loving. Folks, if this is an amazing act of love, if I'm worth it. This is an amazing act of love. If I'm a prize, I'm going to enrich heaven. I'm going to enrich God. That's an amazing act of love. If I'm a prize. And I'm not. That wasn't done for a prize. That was done for a helpless, ungodly sinner. Who with each and every act of sin has established himself as an enemy of God. That's who that was done for. That is God's amazing act of love to prove today, not 2011 years ago, look at the verb, today, how much he loves you. So when you and I feel unnoticed, when we feel unloved and uncared for, when we think, you know, you can't possibly see or understand, God points us back to the cross. And and to kind of wrap up this thought, Paul finishes in verses 10 and 11, and he says, guys, can you imagine with me? If God would love us like that, when we stood in the status, when we stood in the position of being a helpless, ungodly sinner who with each and every act of sin was establishing himself as an enemy, if God would show love when I'm an enemy, if God would love like that when I'm an enemy, can you and I just imagine what is he going to love us when we now stand in the position of a friend? Think of what his love can be and do when we stand in the position of a friend. Do you know that's the status that you have now? Man, if he would love me back there like that, think of what that love is going to be and do now. And as we move forward into the future. And Paul says, man, would you get excited about that? Would you rejoice? 
Isn't that what he says? In your reconciliation. Rejoice in reconciliation. Now that's not words we're going to use a lot, is it? You know what he's saying there? Would you get excited? Would you get happy? You went from this status to this status. You're a friend of God. Think of what his love is going to be and do for you now. Now, what do you and I do with this? This is all truth that's being presented. The question is, what do we do with this truth? I mean, there's only, there's only two things you can do with this. You, you reject it or you accept it. There's all kinds of reasons we reject it. We reject it out of ignorance. We reject it because, I mean, that's stupid. Somebody dying for me on a cross. I don't think that's love. We, we reject it because we still want our sin. We, we think our sin has more value to our lives. All kinds of reasons we say, no. Nah. Or we accept it. And we throw our lives headlong into the love of God. You know what I mean by that? You say, you know, have faith in God. Put your faith in God. When I say throw your lives headlong, folks, I mean your life becomes about one absorbing thing, the love of God. It's what you want to study. It's what you want to understand. It's what you want to grow in. It's what you want to share. It's what you want to celebrate. You have no greater thing in your life, no greater defining moment in your life than that God loves me. I was an enemy but he made me a friend. And that changes, doesn't it? Shouldn't it? The way I look at everything in life now. H- have you had the joy, the excitement of, of feeling in love? Knowing what it's like to be loved? Maybe it started with that note in seventh grade. Will you? Check here, check there. And what does it feel like to be? You're giddy, aren't you? Let me tell you something. When you're in love and when you're loved, there's no storms. You can make something romantic out of raindrops. When you're feeling in love, there's no problem. Man, that love just paints everything right. Folks, the love of God is to have that kind of impact on our life. As a matter of fact, when we get to Romans chapter 12, we're going to see verse after verse after verse after verse showing when you're living in, when you're celebrating, when you're doing what Paul said, rejoicing in your reconciliation. When you're, when you're celebrating the friendship you have with God, the impact that should have on your attitudes, on your values, on, on all different kinds of relationships. What does that look like and mean that you're living in and enjoying and celebrating the love of God? It should change your life. Is it? So the first question I've got to ask is, have I rejected the love of God or have I accepted the love of God? And if I've accepted it, then the next question is, have you really Have you thrown your life headlong into the love of God? To know it, to live it, to celebrate it, to share it. What have you done with the love of God? He proves it. He proves it. Not 2,011 years ago, he proves it every day. So how are you responding? Let's pray. Father, we come before you and uh, Lord, a lot of us in here, not every one of us, but a lot of us in here, we, we've been to church a lot. We, we've been, to, we've been in, in a lot of Sundays. And we've heard that God loves me, God loves you, God loves us. We've, we've heard this a lot. As a matter of fact, we've heard it so much, Lord, I, I think I can pray on behalf of a lot of us. We, we can hear that and be 
really mostly unaffected. Not, not even hardly think about it. And, and Lord, I don't know what all the reasons are that for. I've, I don't know if it's because it's just we can't comprehend it. It's just too big and too amazing. I don't know if it's because we're not interested. It doesn't seem real. But God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you could demonstrate something like that, show something like that, and I could be unaffected. I'm sorry that I could receive that kind of gift into my life and then go out and live like I'm unloved and don't have any friends. God, would you forgive us? Would you cleanse us of this sin? God, I believe many of us in here, we have received your love. We have put our faith and trust in your love for us on the cross. Lord, would you guide us all through this week with one consuming thought? How do I live the love of God? If I've really put my faith and my life in God's love for me, then what should that look like when I wake up? What should that look like in that relationship, at school, at work, and in the things that I'm going to deal with this week? Lord, there may be some things we're so excited about. We've been waiting all year for this week. God, there may be some things in front of this week that are just a living hell. We would have never imagined we'd be here in this spot. God, wherever we are in all this, I pray there's one thing. What does the love of God mean to me in this? How do I hold on? How do I live? How do I celebrate the love of God in and through this? Lord, I want my life to trumpet your love. I want my life to share and to show the love of God so that others can have it. Lord, there may be people here in this room today who, who are in the status of an enemy of God. Lord, if they are, would you tell them right now? Would you tap them on the shoulder? Would you whisper in their ear? And let them know that you're calling them your enemy, not out of anger, not out of wrath, not out of what you've done wrong. You're telling them out of love because you want that status to change. God, I pray today would be the day they come to faith in Jesus Christ. They come and find out what friendship with God can be and do. Tell them right now, Lord, that they need to respond to you and to your love. Lord, maybe there's those in here today who, who need to join other friends of God so that they can grow in their friendship with you and learn better that friendship and how to celebrate it. If, Lord, if there's people in here today who should be members of Colonial Heights Baptist, would you tell them? Tell them right now, I want you to be a part of this place. Lord, I pay, pray people are responding not to me or to music or to the moment, but they're responding to your voice, to your leadership, to you, Holy Spirit. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that I ask this. Amen.